Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. Today we're starting a new series on the book of Revelation. We'll be going through it uh, in a few programs and giving an overview to understand uh, what it's all about. Uh, for many it's a mysterious book, but I want to show you that it's very straightforward and uh, has a powerful message. We are living in the end times, near the end of the church age, and the day of the Lord, or the tribulation, is drawing near. And since this is the case, understanding the closing book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, surely is of great importance. Uh, we, it helps us understand where the world is heading, what part we should play as the age comes to its close. You know, God has called us to live in the closing part of the church age, the last generation. And as we see all these things in the Bible beginning to happen, we should look up to heaven in earnest expectation of the coming of Jesus Christ in the rapture. Luke, in Luke, Jesus said, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. Many avoid reading Revelation because they think it's obscure, impossible to understand. But this can't be because it's called the book of Revelation, not the book of obscurity. So as we give an overview of the book, we'll see that it reveals the sequence of events from the church age through the tribulation or day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, the millennium, the final judgment, and then into the eternal state. And it gives all of this in chronological order. And if we read it according to its plain meaning, we'll find it's, it's straightforward and clear and powerful. Well, let's make a start. Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse 1 and 2, it describes its divine origin and its authority. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. And then verse 3 gives the promise that all who study and receive the words of the book will be blessed. Blessed is he who reads. And those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near, the time of fulfillment is near. And so you will definitely receive a blessing as we study Revelation together. Verse 4 and 5 gives a gracious greeting from the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says, John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace to you and peace, first, from him who is and was and is to come, that's the Father, Second, and from the seven spirits, or the sevenfold spirit, who are before his throne. That's the Holy Spirit. And third, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. That's the Son of God. And in verse 5, continuing, John then declares the praises of the Son. He says, to him who loved us and washed us, from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to our God and Father. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. In verse 7, then, John proclaims the second coming of Christ, which is the central climactic event of this book, because it's going to change everything on the earth. He says, Behold, he, Christ, is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him 
Even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth, or land, will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Which means that matter is settled, it's as good as done. Now, what's not immediately obvious is that this is saying that the return of Christ is conditional on Israel's repentance and repentance of their rejection of Jesus as their Messiah um, and their acceptance of Christ, in other words. That is essential for the second coming of Christ, which I want to show you. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 23 to the leaders of Israel who had rejected him. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her, how often I would wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house, your temple, is left to you desolate. That's predicting the destruction of the temple. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until, there's the key word, until you say, you leaders of Israel say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's the official messianic greeting, the words that the leaders of Israel will use to invite Jesus Christ to return and reign as the king of Israel. Well, we see that this is actually, um, that Revelation 1-7, which says, even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the land will mourn because of him, that that's a reference to a prophecy in Zechariah 12, verse 10. And by looking at this prophecy, we'll see the true meaning of what that is. This Zechariah says, I will pour on the house of David, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. And they, then they will look on me, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. This is a prophecy of the repentance of Israel just before Christ returns in Zechariah 14. The, the mourning here is repentance when their spiritual eyes are opened to see Jesus for who he is. In the prophecy, God is speaking and says, they will look on me whom they pierced. But how do you pierce God? Only if he becomes a man. And so this predicts that the Messiah will be the God-man, who will be pierced in his flesh as a result of the actions of the Jewish leaders. It also predicts that God will open Israel's eyes in the end times, so that they will look on Jesus with the eyes of faith, faith and see him for who he is the God-man Messiah who died for their sins. That's saving faith. They will look on me whom they pierced, and they will mourn, it says. They will mourn for their national sin of rejecting him when he came the first time. And, and that will open the way for him to return the second time and save them and reign as their king. So, when Revelation 1-7 talks about all the tribes of the earth... Actually, it should have been translated, all the tribes of the land. Because again, it's, it's a reference to this Zechariah prophecy. It's talking about the repentance of all the tribes of Israel uh, just before Jesus returns. And so it, the word earth and the word land, it's the same in the, in, the, in the Hebrew. So it's really all the tribes of the land. That is, all the 12 tribes of the land of Israel will mourn just as Zechariah prophesied. And so it says, every eye will see him, that's every eye on the earth, even they who pierced him. So now it's focusing on 
Israel, who were uh, who pierced the Messiah, and all the tribes of the land of Israel will mourn because of him. So, in other words, it's after saying everyone alive on earth will see Christ when he returns in glory. Revelation verse seven focuses then on Israel those who pierced him, and they describe Israel as being in a state of repentance, of mourning that they had rejected him, and, and a state of faith. They're trusting in him when he returns. And that agrees with Romans that says, all Israel will be saved at the return of Christ. And so, actually, Hosea chapter 5 from verse 14 gives the actual words of repentance that the leaders of Israel will use at that time. First, in this prophecy, the Messiah is speaking and describing his first coming to Israel. He says, I'll be like a lion to Ephraim, like a young lion to the house of Judah. That means he will present himself to them as their king, but they will reject him, and that will result on result in judgment coming on Israel. We see that in the next verse. He says, I, even I, will tear them and go away. I will take them away. That is, they'll be taken away from their land. And no one will rescue. Then he says, I will return again to my place. And that's his ascension into heaven. But notice there's another until. I will return again to my place. Remember, Jesus said, you won't see me again until until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's the equivalent here. I will return again to my place until they, that's Israel, acknowledge their offense. What offense? Their rejection of him as the Messiah King. Then they will seek my face in their affliction, that's in the tribulation, especially as the battle of Armageddon is threatening their destruction. In their affliction they will earnestly seek me. Then the prophecy moves into chapter 6, and we're told the words of the leaders of Israel calling on the people to trust in Christ to save them. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he's torn, he's judged, but he'll heal us. He's stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us, and on, on the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. So this tells us that they will say these words two days before Christ's return. This is actually when the world will be given the fi their final warning by a total blackout of the sun, moon and stars. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Just as there was a supernatural blackout on the day of the cross, two days before the great and glorious day of his resurrection, so there'll be another supernatural blackout two days before the great and awesome day of the Lord's second coming. There's also another application of these two days that uses the key one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And if God is using this typology, this is saying that two days, that is 2,000 years, after the Messiah was rejected by Israel and returned to heaven, Israel will repent and be restored by the Lord at his second coming. So that on the third day of thousand years, that's the millennium, they will live in his sight. The thousand year reign of Christ that Revelation 20 talks about. You see, the leaders confirm their faith that the Lord Jesus Christ will return after the two days to save Israel. That's in verse 3. They say, let us know. 
Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. He's going forth. That's his going forth from heaven in the second coming. His going forth as the son of righteousness is established as the morning sunrise or fixed as the morning sunrise. That means his return from heaven in glory is certain. It will be on time after two days. Jesus also refers to Zechariah 12.10 in his prophecy in Matthew 24. He says, immediately after, or this can also mean at the end of the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. That means they'll fail to shine. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Christ will shake the universe with his roar. Then it says, in that blackout, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth, actually all the tribes of the land of Israel, will mourn, just as Zechariah predicted. They'll mourn, they'll repent, they'll call on Jesus to save them. Israel will be in faith, calling on the Lord to return. All the tribes of the land, all Israel will be saved. So again, verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will all see the coming, the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, the eternal God speaks. And this is God declaring his authority, his ability to know the future, to declare the future, which he's going to do in this book. Why? How can he do that? He's outside time and he sees all things and he's sovereign over all things. So he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. Then in verse 9, John describes his imprisonment. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then he starts to describe his vision of Christ. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind, behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And then in the next verse, it becomes clear that this is the voice of God himself, because this voice says, I am Alpha and the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. These are titles that God uses of himself, even back in verse 8. And he said, what you see, write in a book and send to the seven churches in Asia. And then... It says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded around the chest with a golden band. And so when John turns to see who this voice that is speaking to him, he finds it's the risen Jesus. But remember that the voice declared himself to be God. So this is a clear proof that Jesus is God, manifest in the flesh as the Son of Man. He's dressed in the robes of a high priest and he stands in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Verse 20 actually gives the meaning of the seven lampstands. It says, the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And, and this representation of the churches as lampstands shows that the main purpose of the church in the world is to shine the light of God's word, God's the gospel, 
God's truth to the earth. And actually, in the seven letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, Christ is judging those seven churches and their leaders according to how faithful they've been in this mission, holding fast to the truth, proclaiming the truth, rejecting error. So this is a vision of the resurrected Christ who stands in the midst of the church as their Lord, as their high priest and as their judge. And verse 14 describes the risen Christ with the glory of God shining out of him. It says his head and hair were white as wool, that's because of the glory, as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire. And the, verse 15 is his readiness to judge the world. His feet were like fine brass. Brass is the metal of judgment, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And then it says, he had in his right hand seven stars. Verse 20 interprets that for us. It says, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So this is the word angelos, which sometimes means angels, but it literally it means messengers, the messengers of the seven churches. In this case, it's got to be the pastors of the seven churches. The pastors are messengers, you see, because their responsibility, their first responsibility is to bring God's word or message to the church. And so the God, Christ holds these pastors in his hands and he holds them accountable for the state of the church. They can't be angels because Christ writes the seven letters to these messengers of the churches. Well, God does not communicate with angels by means of writing letters. And also in the letters, he finds fault with these messengers, with these stars, and he tells them to repent. So this can't be talking about God's angels, which are perfect. Verse 16 completes the description of the risen Christ, who is victorious over sin, over death, over Hades. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. And it's interesting that at the start of the seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3, Christ selects key phrases from this description that we've just seen of the risen Christ and he chooses the ones that are most relevant to meet the need of that church. He's saying that the, the answer to their issue is that they need to know him better. He, they need to know him in that specific aspect of his nature. Let me give you some examples of that. Ephesus, you see, was a faithful church, many good works, sound in doctrine, but they'd lost their first love. They forgot that it's all about Jesus. They needed to be reminded that Christ was in the midst of them and he should be the center of the attention and everything they do. And that's why the letter goes in verse one, to the messenger of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. In other words, remember it's all about Christ. He's in the midst. Then the next one was Smyrna, the suffering church. And they needed encouragement in their suffering and many were being martyred. The encouragement is that Christ also suffered unto death, but God had the last word and raised him from the dead and he received his glorious reward. So 
in the Smyrna letter starts, to the messenger of the church of Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. And he says in verse 10, be faithful to death and I'll give you the crown of life. See how that he reveals himself in such a way to encourage them in their situation. He said, I've been through it and I come out of it and you will too. The church of Pergamos was a compromised church where the beliefs and values of the world were mixed together with, with uh, the values of God's word. And Jesus therefore introduces himself to them in verse 12 saying, to the messenger of the church at Pergamos write, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword to divide between truth and error, between spirit and soul. We need, a compromised church needs that sword applied to them. The next church of Thyatira had opened the door to Jezebel, who brought in a totally corrupt form of Christianity, and Christ warns them that judgment is going to fall on everyone who follows Jezebel. And so in verse 18, he describes himself as the one who is ready to judge. To the messenger of the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. The church of Sardis was a church that used to be alive, but now was become dead. Dead orthodoxy, nominal Christianity. He says you, you've got a name, a reputation in your life, but you are dead. So Jesus points to himself as the source of the Holy Spirit. He says, to the messenger of the church in Sardis, right? These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The last church, Laodicea, was totally apostate, governed by liberal theology that denied the central truths of the gospel of who Jesus is, a savior and Lord. And so Christ was on the outside of this church, knocking on the door. And the church was full of unbelievers. So Christ presents himself as the creator, the very basics, you see, the creator, the Lord, the true witness that his word is true, the gospel is true. And they need to put their trust in him. He's the truth. They need to put their trust in him to be saved. So they say, to the messenger of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things say the Amen, the trustworthy one, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. In other words, the creator. Well, I give an overview of church history in my book called The Panorama of Prophecy. Uh, in the appendix, I, I show how these seven letters actually describe the whole course of the church age. After describing the glorified Christ in chapter 1, John is then given the key to understand the whole revelation that Christ is giving to him concerning the future sequence of events. And this is in verse 19. And the key that he gives here confirms that the book is written in sequence, in chronological order. John is told, write, he's given three things. Number one, write the things you have seen. Number two, write the things which are now. And number three, write the things which will take place after this. Here are three things in order. First of all, the things you've seen, that's the vision of Christ, that's Revelation 1. The things which are now, that's the second category, that's the church age. That's what's happening now. 
And that's described in Revelation 2 and 3. The seven letters to the seven churches, like I said, actually describe the whole course of the church age. So Revelation 2 and 3 is the things which are now, the church age. And thirdly, it says the things that will take place after this. That is, the things that will take place after the church age, after the rapture of the church. And they are described in chapters 4 to 22. The fact that the transition to the things that will take place after this takes place at the start of Revelation 4 is shown by the fact that the very same phrase is used in Revelation 4 verse 1, marking this transition. It says, After these things I looked, behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. This signifies that at this point the vision is now moving into the next phase of history after the rapture of church, namely the day of the Lord, the tribulation. In fact, we can see that John's spiritual rapture is a type of the rapture of the church as he's called upward to heaven. Revelation chapters 4 and 5 then reveal the resurrected and raptured church in heaven and that's what we'll see next time and certain events that will take place there immediately after the rapture which initiate the tribulation on earth and then chapters 6 to 18 describe in detail the tribulation followed by chapter 19 which describes the second coming of Christ in glory followed by Revelation 20 which describes his thousand year rule on earth and the final judgment of, believe, of unbelievers at the great white throne and finally the last two chapters 21 and 22 describe the creation of a new heaven and a new earth the eternal state and so the things which will take place after the after this after the church age is chapters 4 to 22 so notice the book of Revelation is written in chronological order and when you read it that way it all falls into place and is easy to understand. Next time we're going to see the exciting events in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And our vision is to spread the in-depth teaching of the word of God to the ends of the earth, but we need your help. If you can partner with us or, or pray for us, contribute to us, it will make all the difference to make this possible. And on our website, oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk, you, you can find the, a way you can help us financially, and we would be so grateful. If you're enjoying our programs on the book of Revelation, you may well want to get into it in more depth. And so I've actually got a CD series where I taught this in, in great depth, seven or eight CDs in each box. Book of Revelation part one, Book of Revelation part two, Book of Revelation part three. We go through the whole book of Revelation and uh, you will, uh, this will take you verse by verse through the book and you, you will get great benefit from understanding the times we're living in and what is gonna happen soon. Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086